Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 44 and our third episode of season two. This week, Brian and I are talking all about the atonement. We discuss the different views of atonement and what might be the best way for us to look at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. A lot of these views deal with metaphor, and so we also talk about the limits of metaphor and how all metaphors at some point break down and what that means for how we look at atonement. It's a really interesting conversation, definitely worth your while. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro, and on YouTube at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We've also set up a Patreon account, which is a way that you can support us uh, if you're enjoying the podcast. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to our website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. All right, let's jump right in, taking a look at the atonement. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. <laughs> Why do you always sing our intro? I don't know. Like, I just feel like... I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, I you always talk about me being low energy, but you you come in singing and you know it, well, I, I feel just, a little like want... you know your your Lynn Manuel Miranda you know kind of <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I've got in, a musical coming in, out soon. In Canto. Well, I feel like sometimes these are musical episodes. You know, I feel like sometimes the Bistro is a musical. The Bible well, Bistro. You and I had a... The musical. The musical. Yeah. Yes. You've accused me of this. I sent you a little ditty <laughs> and text message today. You did. Yeah, you actually you sent me today of, at lunch. I received this voice. And I have eaten today. You'll be glad to know. That's, oh, that's... <laughs> so you're not low energy. <laughs> no. I'll let you eat. No. Well, anyway, no. So I sang you a little something, uh, a, a Christian classic. Yes. It only takes a spark. It only takes a spark. Because we have our first patron on Patreon, which is a, an yes. amazing thing. So just a amazing. reminder... If you want to buy us a cup of coffee, or this is actually tea today. I don't always do tea, but I am today. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I realized I can't caffeinate anymore. We're recording this late in the afternoon, and I'm on the <laughs> East Coast, also known as Indianapolis, where Eastern. And time. another big mystery has been solved: the mystery of whether or not you're going to use the same uh, intro, yes. intro, next outro music for the second season it, has been solved. And I was it very has been solved. I like that music. I was very pleased that it it continued. So well, I felt I. Felt judgment from you, and so I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't judging. I thought you did a great job choosing before, as I said, and I think you could do equally well. But it is—it's kind of our signature now, you know. So it is. It's it is. We, it is. Who we've we heard are. some good things about our, our first, our second episode of this new season was le- released today, as we are recording this, and we've heard yes. already heard some good things. Heard from from some of our uh, regular listeners very pleased with that and always good to hear and from you and we solved all their questions no one has any more questions <laughs> well, about I was the foreknowledge thinking, of god i was thinking when i went to, so to, today in the time we're recording this our episode on foreknowledge again we're getting into time and all that kind of stuff um <laughs> uh, our episode on foreknowledge was released today, and I was thinking the the subject we're going to talk about today is also a pretty deep one. So, man, season two we're we're deep, diving in the deep end. But we also yes. confirmed a couple of up, you know, not to give away everything, but we've got a couple of uh, uh, good yes. interviews coming up in the near future. We've had some other input. Uh, we've had some good people. Thanks to. Greg for sharing one of our episodes with lots of people, and we've had some new listeners. So hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully this will continue to to get out yeah, there. Stick and grow. with us; it's only going to get better. We're like a fine wine. <laughs> First season, we're just decanting, and now swirl around. You get the aroma. Does this work? Is no, this I think it's work? more like coffee. It's I don't know. Stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, we're talking. <laughs> we got our grind. We got our grind on now. I don't know. We got our grind on. We're back in the rhythm here. So, yeah. yes. So, this is our ap- third episode. We yeah. talked about Peter Inns, the first one. People like that one. Foreknowledge, yeah. uh, which was a little bit uh, deeper topic yeah. that uh, is kind of a bain- brain baker a little bit, if you th- really think about it. And so, today, we're going to talk about something called atonement. Atonement, yeah. Cent- very central doctrine to the Christian faith. And this was, uh, wasn't this some listeners that suggested we should Yes, we should uh, we, I this? got a text message a couple weeks ago uh, saying, hey, I would really like if you would right. talk about like atonement theories or, or sure. what. Sure, yeah. What is it? Well, that, you know, atonement is a, is a funny, it's a funny 
I always think every time I start talking about this and and I start looking back into it, and I've done some some more reading this last week and some, gave you some homework to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, whenever I start doing this topic again, I think it's it's really kind of remarkable that we call this topic atonement because because that word really does not occur very frequently in the New Testament. And, and but we mean more by it than than where it occurs. It only occurs four times. Either the words atonement or atoning sacrifice only occur four times in the New Testament. Used a lot in the Old Testament. The idea of atonement used a lot in the Old Testament. First um, John uses atoning sacrifice a couple times. But but what we really mean by this, just to kind of define our terms, is when we talk about atonement, we're really talking about what it is that. Um, God did in Jesus at the cross. Like what, what was the action of Jesus at the cross? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so I, you know, I said, I was saying to you before we began, I'll kind of begin with very, a non-controversial statement at all. I think, I think most followers of Christ, uh, especially of the, the kind that would listen to this podcast and be interested in this podcast. Most of them, if you said something like, uh, uh, God saved us in Jesus on the cross or in Jesus crucifixion, we are saved. Uh, we, we will sometimes use by the blood of Jesus, we are saved. All of those to kind of refer to that action, uh, not only the cross, of course, but also the resurrection. Most of us, I, I think that's a non-controversial statement. Many people are going to say, yeah, absolutely. I believe that, that I'm saved by the work of Jesus on the cross. Um, you know, that the crucifixion, the, the, the death, burial, resurrection, a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll do it for shorthand. Um, so, we use the word atonement when it comes to that, because when we begin to talk about exactly how that happened, or, or, or maybe I'd even put it this way, what happened on the cross is where it gets a little bit more uh, difficult for us to pin down exactly. And so we know we're, we're saved by the cross, but the atonement is talking about ex- exactly how, what happened. How, yeah, what, what happened happen? at the cross? How, how are we saved? What does it mean that we are saved? Uh, all of those kind of things. And there are different views, and we're, we're kind of in a time where one of the prominent views in the past, I say in a time, we're kind of, <laughs> we've been in this for some time. Even when I was in, uh, in uh, seminary myself, this was kind of in the midst of changing a bit uh, the way that we talk about it. And, uh, and and so that's that's kind of why people want to want to understand it. What what sometimes I'll say what view of the atonement or what theory of the atonement do you follow, and uh, and, and that's really what they're what they're talking about. What do you believe God did on the cross uh, in Jesus? Maybe I, I was going to ask you this question, um, uh, Ryan, but I don't know. I mean, you've obviously done some reading on it. You've you've done some mm-hmm. thinking about this, uh, but. Maybe I, I would ask you, many of the people that, that have gone to the churches that you've been a part of, how do you think they would answer that question? Woo. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. How would they answer that question? Well, maybe maybe that, I'd that just Jesus, ask the listener to stop for no, a minute. No, no, yeah. Think how, how, well, I'm going to come back to you, Ryan. I'm, I'm not getting you off the hook. I'm, I'm giving you some time mm. to think. Yeah. Vamp, vamp, vamp. <laughs> but, it's a musical. But, you know, I would. it, it would be good the listener to think – if you were asked that question, what do you think happened on the cross that brought salvation or, or that, uh, that, that, you know, what, what do you think happened there? What are you putting your, when you, if you say I'm putting my faith in Christ, what, what are you trusting happened in that, in that moment? What I would say that it would just be a, a debt state, a statement okay. that, that we are in the negative with okay. God and that uh, without that payment, mm-hmm. we will suffer just the negative effect. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a negative positive. Like it's a neutral, yeah, a neutralizing yeah. thing. I've heard uh, th- there's an old uh, preacher statement. You know, I got all these old preacher statements. I, I, we haven't mentioned this, but man, I used to be taken to a lot of revivals when I was a kid. That's why I'm I'm I've got all this <laughs> kind of memory, wonderful information. Yeah. <laughs> but I can remember the statement that I've heard a number of times, and I've said myself. Uh, that uh, he paid a debt that we couldn't, or uh, we pay, he paid a debt. How, how, I can't remember how it is. He paid a debt that we could not pay. We owe a debt that that we we cannot pay him basically. But he paid a debt mm-hmm. uh, we owed that we could not pay. He did for pay, us. Paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Yeah, Listen and the, there, that that's the name. I'm actually going to stop before we start talking about these. And I would say that probably is one of the main ideas of what happened. There is a there's an exchange. Uh, payment or or something to that effect, and, and I would say two of the 
probably the earliest understanding of this, at least in in one part of the church or uh, in the majority of the church, has to do with that idea of payment. And even from the lips of Jesus, we'll see, he he, he suggests this. I'm going to actually go back before we start talking about these different theories of atonement. And, <laughs> you know, it's already a complicated topic, so why don't I bring in something even more complicated? I'm going to talk about this idea of metaphor a little bit. Um Metaphor is uh, the way that we use language to represent a truth. And uh, the big example I always give of metaphor is God is a rock. Um, Psalmists say that all the time. You know, God is a, there are other things. Your foundation, God is a a tower. You know, there's other ways that that's used. And, And Technically, if you if you studied metaphor in English, you would have heard something like it's an unexpressed comparison. Similes are a little bit easier because they give us a hint that they're similes. They say like, you know, God is like a rock. Well, oh, okay, you're giving me a signal there. You're not saying God is a rock, but metaphor tends to be this direct kind of thing. And, and here's the here's the issue: is the metaphors that we use, and I'm not I'm talking here big in big terms. I'm not just talking theologically, but even the metaphors we use in uh, well, uh, in, in church life is one example. The metaphors we use in business is something I've actually, believe it or not, done some uh, spent some time reading about. The, the metaphors that we use kind of determine the horizon of understanding that we're able to have. Okay, they they can okay. they, they now they're they're good in that they open up ways for us to think about a topic, but they also have a limiting effect as well. I'll give they you open a, and confine at the same right. time, right? And and so I'll give you an example. Uh, we often will talk about and and I've thought about this a lot because I did a little bit of writing on this. Uh, we'll use a metaphor to talk about our communities as as congregations. As as I use the I tend to use the word congregation just so you know about the church in a particular place, right? I you tend to use the I try to reserve. I don't always do this. I try to reserve the the word church for the universal. Uh, church, mm-hmm. all times, all places. And when I talk about a congregation, I'm talking about a, a particular uh, manifestation of, of the church in a particular location at a particular time. So so in our congregations, we will use metaphors. One of those we use a lot is a family, right? Have you ever, have you ever heard a metaphor of the church family? Uh, yes. And so we'll talk about brothers and sisters, for example, as an extension of that metaphor. Now, we are not uh, in the most literal term, we are not family, but we're saying there's something about our experience with these other followers of Jesus that is like family. And that metaphor, by the way, goes all the way back um, to, to Paul himself. Paul kind of talks about this idea that we're reforming a family. And I guess we could even go back to Jesus' statement when uh, his mother and brothers came looking for him. And he said, these are my bro- these are my mother, these are my brothers. You know, he said this, this these followers of mine are my family that I'm creating around myself. But, but my point is that's a metaphor that we use in order to describe a reality uh, about who we are. What, what would you say is good about that metaphor? What is that, what is that metaphor pointing toward, would you say, Ryan? Uh, that God is our Father. Like there is one unifying, right? That we are unified in one thing. That while we are different, yeah. we are unified. Yeah, you you just you're, what you said is absolutely true. Um, uh, but you you stepped into something I really didn't want to talk about that. But I'll go ahead and bring oh, up. No, step you said step you in said a- God is our Father. That's a metaphor. Mm, yep. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yes. That's he's a, not really. Not, our well, biological father. And that's when we start talking about really, he is really. I mean, that's, that's where metaphors get kind of messy because it's it's describing a reality, but it's using uh, it's using a different kind of language in order to bring this around. Now you're going, why, Brian, you've, you've gone completely out the window. Why are you talking? This Which, is atonement, everyone. <laughs> just, this just is the atonement episode. <laughs> as we come back from the break, we're talking, about, we're talking about atonement today, believe it or not. Just to remind you. Now, now here's my point is that, so you said, you said, um, it talks about our relationship, the closeness of our relationship within the congregation, our unity, uh, mm-hmm. that we have things in common, that we, sh- we share with one another, the same way family does. And, and I've even heard preachers extend the metaphor, and this is, this is what we do, is we push the metaphor sometimes, and they'll say, oh, being, being a part of the church is just like growing up. You know, my brothers would always fight with me, but then when somebody would come and attack us from outside, we were, 
we were together. And sometimes the church is like that too, right? Yes. That we Oh yeah, oh that, we, yeah. that we'll bicker until we get attacked from the outside. But but here's my point with metaphors, and here's why I bring this up. Metaphors always break down. We 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 push metaphors, but we can push a metaphor too far. So when I talked about it giving us a horizon of potential understanding, uh, we can push it beyond that to, to where it is beyond that horizon. And so it, it, we always say metaphors always break down. So God is a rock. Do you agree with that statement that the psalmists make? But there are ways in which he is not like a rock. Right. Right. Uh, he's not mm-hmm. inert, for example, <laughs> you know, th- those kind of things. There are ways, church family is a fine way for us to talk about that metaphor breaks down. Uh, you know, there, there comes a time where, where we be in, and, and in fact, you can almost always point to, to groups where, where these metaphors are misunderstood. So for example, uh, it breaks, <laughs> it breaks down. So, so my, my wife is my sister in Christ, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kentucky. Now, come on. Here's the, yeah, that's fine. Here's the interesting point though about that. <laughs> Is there have been times in in history, in fact, uh, I think about Shakers in in Kentucky and Virginia and other places, who said, we're going to live as brothers and sisters. So even married couples would live separately then. They they pushed that metaphor probably beyond the bounds of what it was meant to be understood. Do you get what I'm saying? Now, (laughs) let's go back and and talk about atonement theory, because here's what I'm going to suggest to you. I'm going to say that the metaphors that we choose to use are always going to guide the discussion to a certain extent. And they're also going to always have limits. And I think one of the main problems we have when we begin to pit one theory of atonement against another is usually where those have been pushed too far. Okay. So, so you like we're pitting metaphors against each other. Exactly, and so here, here, I'm going to give you a couple. So this, what I said, is probably one of the earliest, and you, you talked about one that I think came in at a little bit later period of time. Uh, what you talked about really is, uh, if, if we were going to talk about a setting for that, it's a I would call it a juridical metaphor. In oh, say, a, uh, so what, a juridical. A what? Juridical it has to do with a courtroom. Okay. Uh, a lot gotcha. of people say judicial, okay. but the, the correct term is juridical, but it doesn't matter. Well. So, <laughs> It was a, <laughs> so, so I, I can't just say uh huh on that one. I like you well I'll look it, it up. For me, so so w- <laughs> having to do with the courtroom, right? Okay. So Legal. so I'll come back to that one in a minute. But but the earliest theory was actually go ahead. You get your Bible there. I have a digital. Yes. Yeah. Look at Mark yeah. chapter ten, verse forty-five. Jesus actually uses this phrase both in Matthew and Mark. Uh, talking about what he came to do. In other words, his understanding. And that's one of the criticisms of some of these theories is, did Jesus understand that this is what he was doing? So yes. so here's something. This is a statement that Jesus, this is red letter edition. This is something that Jesus says he is doing, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life, and he says this in Matthew as well. Jesus came, he says, this is the re- this is Jesus mouth. This is the reason I came to give myself as a ransom for many. Now that's a metaphor. I would say when, when we think about ransoms, what kind of a setting are we typically thinking about? Uh, kidnapping. Okay. Held against one's will. It, it could be kidnapping in this period of time. A lot of times it was all, it also would have to do with, um, uh, military. So you would have, you would, you would, um, uh, take, officers, for example, or other people from the enemy enemy army captive, and you would expect a ransom to be paid for mm-hmm. their for their freedom. So this idea of ransom is being paid out of captivity, whether it's if you want to use the metaphor of kidnapping or whatever. Uh, but but you understand what I'm saying is so so it's the idea of a price to be paid on behalf of another in order to give them freedom. So Jesus' idea of him as a ransom, what do you think he's saying there then? That my life will will purchase you. Okay, I'm going to give my life uh, in exchange. So, so that you so you can have your so life. You can, so, you can have, so you can be liberated, so you can have, have freedom, right? And that was a very early understanding of this idea. Now, here's where the problem came, I think, is people begin asking questions like, and, and this is the kind of thing theologians love to do, right? <clears throat> well... Who is this ransom being paid to? Okay. And 
And so the answer, at least one theologian thought, well, is the devil. The devil is the one who holds us captive. Uh, we have become captive to him because of our sin, and therefore Jesus came to give his life. And so God then is paying the devil the ransom of Jesus on our behalf. Well, you see, that begins to kind of break down some. It gets right? a little hinky in there, yeah. Uh, okay, and so that's where, that's where we get into these issues. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you, and this is going to be maybe a little bit different than some other people are going to say. I'm going to mention a book later that does a similar thing. Uh, although, you know, I think, I think his is a really, it's a really good book, and I think he makes a really good point there. <clears throat> this is the words of Jesus. So I think we need to be careful about saying ransom is not a good metaphor for this. I think what we need to say is there's truth in what Jesus is saying here, that he is giving himself as a ransom. But like any metaphor, that's going to break down at some point. So we need to really look at what it is that Jesus is saying, and we don't push it too far. And I'll say a lot of the, <laughs> some people will going to criticize me for this undoubtedly, but but a lot of the early Christian writers would would do this on a regular basis. Um, when it came to the parables of Jesus, for example, they wanted to identify every single particular part of it. You know, um, uh, I think about one interpretation that I often would would read to students to use it as an example of how not to interpret parables. But uh, you know, it, it, it's an author, early Christian author, who uh, was talking about the Good Samaritan. And uh, the donkey represented, you know, some part of the Christian story, and the inn represented a, the church, and and the two two coins stood for, you know, or something. Uh, and and I think it was Old New Testament, if I remember correctly. But anyway, the 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 point is this: that that if we begin to think a little bit too, f I don't want to say it's not thinking too much about it, but if we think about it incorrectly. What we're doing is we're pushing those metaphors beyond the bounds that they were intended. I don't think Jesus was saying, "Oh, I want you to, I want you to think about who's holding, you know, who's being held in ransom, you know, that that kind of thing." Mm -hmm. uh, but it's saying that I'm giving myself in exchange for you to a certain extent. So, but here's I want to go back and I want you, I want you to think about this. The context there is then you said uh, hi, uh, hijacking or, or uh, hostage taking, something along those lines, mm -hmm. or again in this period of time. Uh, ransom, ransom is used frequently uh, in the Old Testament uh, for, for this kind of thing. Uh, and in fact, um, it talks about G uh, God in, in the Old Testament talks about Egypt was given in ransom for you, uh, for the Israelites. And there are other passages where this word, word is only used twice in the New Testament, but it's used frequently. This idea of ransom is frequently used in the Old Testament. Uh, for what God did in in redeeming, and, and that's another that's another word we'll have to get to in a minute, which is a metaphor. Redeeming mm -hmm. is a metaphor uh, that we'll have to get to. So, so here we go. So you talked then about this idea of um, uh, what I'm trying now. I'm trying to think of how you how you expressed it. Uh, what did you say most people would would think about? Oh, oh like a, a debt. A, like there's a negative ledger. And that right. Jesus is just making it. So that's sometimes right. you know that that's the context of business or maybe a commercial uh, metaphor mm -hmm. that's being used there. That there's a payment that is owed. We owe a debt because because we have broken faith with God. We have we have uh, gone against His rules. Therefore, we owe Him a debt, and we cannot pay that debt ourselves. And therefore, we are dependent upon Jesus to pay it for us. And so often in this this context. Uh, you'll think about Jesus then serves as a substitution for us, that he um, he, he comes, we, we owe our lives. Um, and in fact, if you even think about Paul's statement, the wages of sin is death. Wages is a metaphor there, right? What we right. owe uh, is death because of our sin. And Jesus' death then is a substitute for us. So in that in that kind of a... Uh, a, a commercial context. Uh, I mentioned uh, courtroom scenes. I'm not going to use that other fancy word because you guys will just make fun of me. But jur, jur, juridical, rural, but juridical. But this idea of a a courtroom scene we've often seen. In fact, you probably have heard the illustration about the judge that finds someone guilty, but then steps down, takes off his robe, and then pays the pays the debt. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah. that kind of a courtroom analogy. Uh, and so sometimes we'll use the, the idea of, of penal, 
we'll talk about the penal substitutionary atonement. And the penal there has to do with a penalty that's being given, uh, a fine, if you will, because because of the breaking of the law or however we, mm-hmm. we want to understand that. Uh, and again, now here's, here's where I'm going to come out maybe a little bit different than some. I'm going to say that, I, again, I think both of those are fine ways to talk about what it is that God has done in Christ. Uh, the difference is that we have to uh, take them for what what they were intended to be, right? Uh, they're, they're a partial explanation. And, and here's uh, this is maybe the most important statement I'll make this entire day, <laughs> is, is okay. what God accomplished in Jesus on the cross is big enough that it's very difficult for us to describe in, in one simple image. That penal substitutionary does not encompass everything. Everything, that happened. but there's there's a certain aspect of it that that becomes becomes true. Now, here's where it breaks down, and 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 this is where the criticism of it has come uh, to to an extent. Um, is you know what is it? What is this penalty that has to be? Why is it that God has to um, uh, punish? Uh, the the sinner, well, you know, God is God, and I've heard I've heard people say this a lot. Couldn't he have just forgiven sins? Couldn't he have just said? And so, what do we usually respond to that, Ryan? What's you, what do you usually hear in response to that? But what, he, could he, could was, God just forgive sins? What's that? No, <laughs> there was a blood sacrifice, like it was. Well, and usually we appeal to God's holiness. Uh, God mm-hmm. is absolutely you can't holy. be in the presence. Can't, of... You know, because this is this is the, the you know the way it was the the way. That it is. It's too big. It's too big. And so, and, and so again, it's and it, you get to a similar kind of thing with the ransom theory, where it's like, uh, and, and people will. There's a particular kind of uh, person who will appeal to this statement, or this word that Jesus, that God, this word that Paul <laughs> uses repeatedly, which is the idea of wrath. They'll talk about the wrath of God. Um, mm-hmm. Related to this is is the idea or the image of satisfaction that 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 God needs satisfaction that that His side of the ledger, if you use that metaphor, uh, the the He is the one who has established the the law, and, and so He has to be there has to be satisfaction, uh, and so um, His wrath is what is often seen poured out on sinners. Um, in fact, there's a very famous sermon, uh, uh, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" by Jonathan Edwards, early in the history of the United States, that that kind of had this idea that God's wrath was being poured out on us, but Jesus stepped in front of him in a, in a way and absorbed what we deserved, the 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 punishment that we deserved, um, uh, and and. Now here's the interesting thing again, though, and and I and I understand there's a couple of different reasons that this has kind of fallen out of, of favor, and I can understand what they are to a certain extent. And and let me again say sometimes we're pushing these things too far, because um, wrath makes God angry. Well, yeah, and and we'll come back to that in just a minute. What does it mean that okay. what does God's wrath mean? I think we can come back to that in a minute if I don't forget. So try to remind me. I'll, I'll remind you. Uh, but. But really, what I was what I was going to say is that that there are those who've said, "Well, how is this one person of the Trinity pouring out his anger on another person of the Trinity? What what does that mean? How does that how does that work? How does that operate?" Uh, some people have really negatively, um, and 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 particularly, and I think we need to hear this, and I think we need to be sensitive to this. Is there are some people for her, for whom that idea of violence, especially again, think about the metaphor of the father for a son, uh, the 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 violence of the father for the son, um, for some people it is a triggering kind of thing. It, it it brings up negative memories from their childhood, uh, negative garbage from from their relationships with their within their families. And uh, and so it becomes for them a very harmful, hurtful kind of thing. And so some people have, for that reason, uh, wanted to move away from this from this metaphor as well. Now let's talk about wrath before we we go on too farther, and we may <laughs> devote a whole other episode to this at some point. Uh, but Paul uses the word wrath frequently to talk about uh, God's 
I, I, see, this, this is even hard this to talk gonna, about. Yeah, yeah. But but God's stance in regard to sin. Um, I almost said reaction, and it's really not reaction. That's that's the thing I try to explain to students, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use a different kind of metaphor, a modern metaphor that I sometimes use to say this. If God is absolutely holy. And and this actually goes back to the episode we have on sin. You'll remember that I said it was important for me when I finally realized sin wasn't just arbitrary. It wasn't just uh, something that God made up, but it is it is an outgrowth and an, an aspect of His very character, of His very nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, sin is the opposite of that. Exactly, sin is the opposite of God's character. Uh, who, who God is, his attributes. If you think about opposite, uh, hate is opposite of love. Um, God is truth, so lying is the opposite of truth. God is faithful to his promises, so so infidelity or adultery is a, is opposed to the the the, the um, uh, nature, nature of God. Of God. And, and so so if you think about God's holiness, then I, I sometimes have used this. If you can imagine, like. Uh, uh, a huge electromagnet that we might use in some kind of scientific <laughs> experiment, and, and you okay. and you guys have all done that thing where you put the kind of the you try to put the the the, the north and south pot- poles together, yeah. right? And they and right. they they uh, or the two norths together, they they oppose one another. I, I said, kind of imagine that God's character, His holiness, and, and when we are opposite of that it, it's like a huge electromagnet and and us being you know flung if you will from thrown that. away yeah and, and and i don't mean it in, i i don't think it's god going oh you know i'm gonna you know it's not like mm-hmm. uh oh, i almost said bluto and uh and popeye that's probably probably dates me a little bit <laughs> double nickel bro it's, <laughs> it's not homer simpson grabbing a hold of bart and going don't yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. um it is it, it, instead. It is. I, I think in, in, it's almost a sorrow or sadness that that those I created in my image to to take on my image and nature to to be um, my image bearers uh, in, in the world and to and to, uh, in, it, to you know God's kingdom to form the world in such a way that it is to work to partner with God in forming the world. They have instead rebelled against me, and, and therefore. I would see wrath, and it's hard even to use the word. I usually use this word, but it it, it breaks down too. It's a metaphor. Uh, is a uh, it's a natural. It's God's natural reaction to sin. It, it's a holy God's um, how do I say stance in regard to sin because you know it's not Him reacting. We're the ones who reacted and and rebelled and did things the opposite way, and and so so wrath is is just that separation that comes because of that. Now, Paul uses the word, uh, a Greek word that just means anger. I mean, I'm going to admit that. Um, But here's the problem when it comes to us describing God uh, and his, I think we're going to talk about this in another episode, perhaps we've we've batted it around a little bit. Uh, When we begin to talk about God's emotions uh, or, or mm. you know, how, how do we how do we use language to to describe this? And, and so wrath, I would see, and and Paul even talks about storing up wrath. You know, you're storing up wrath uh, because of your actions. Um, you know, how do we how do we understand that? But but anyway, the the idea of this is that. Jesus takes us wrath. Now, again, I think we can push this too far, and I've actually had conversations with people who it's not like, and I know I know Paul uses the term storing up, but it's not like there's this certain quantity of wrath that God has to get out. You know, it's not like he's you know balling it up. Yeah, and I've got to burst. I got to get this out, and and I've got to put it someplace, and so it goes on onto Jesus. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of corollaries to this that, that we hear in popular Christianity that I, I just don't agree with. Uh, one of them has to do with uh, Jesus' statement on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are those who would say that is the moment at which humanity, there are those, and I'm not one of them, who would say that's the moment at which humanity's sin was placed upon Jesus. And so again, a holy God withdraws. Now, I don't know what that means for a person of the Trinity to 
uh, withdraw uh, from another one. <laughs> I don't even know how that works. How does a person withdraw from themselves? Right. Uh, yeah. That's a metaphor. Yeah. I don't even know how to think about that. Uh, but then the other thing is, I think that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus, I think Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, uh, which is, that's the first line of Psalm 22. I think he's quoting that on the cross. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got the list, bro. It's, it's, it's growing here. We're talking about this another day. But anyway, anyway, the. It, it's good. So questions on that or comments? And, and here's, here's the thing. We talked about this before that music, we've even talked about that music sometimes, uh, you keep making the point because you're a music major, you would make this point that, that music has sometimes a greater effect upon our theological understanding, um, mm-hmm. because, uh, than the sermon, because we repeat it over and over again, you know, sermon we hear once it's long, it's boring. We're probably asleep anyway. Uh, but the song kind of keeps even, I can remember, you know, my dad would be whistling the songs that we sang in, in church the rest of the week, you know? So sometimes that even has a greater effect on our long-term theology. Um, well, it's just the fact that I sang it, it only takes a spark to get a fire going today. <laughs> and I haven't sung or heard that song in how many years? Time. A very long time. Yeah, I think that's really important. And so, yeah. like, you and I had this conversation. There was a song that, you know, uh, that you don't like to sing because of, <laughs> there's the, of one, the rock. I, like, I actually think it's a great song. Uh, there's yes. one part of it I don't sing. And it's... it's um, Townsend and, and uh, uh, Getty, who Getty. are fantastic songwriters, uh, but their song in Christ alone has one part. And he, here's what I want you to see. This is where they, you can see the theology that we're talking about clearly in this in this line in this one stanza of the song in Christ alone. Do you, do you want to sing it for us? Did you say you prepared it for us? I, I, I hadn't prefer, prepared it for us, but I, I, I okay, go ahead and say your Oh, thing. I was going to say. I got a question. Here's, here's what it is. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. And, and then here's the line. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's a theological statement. That's saying this is that theory of the atonement we've been talking about that that they accept. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. So if and, and maybe is it is it okay for Paul to say it, but not for us to say it because we don't know the full extent of it? You know, I don't know. I'm I just think it's fine question, for us. Like, I think it's fine for us to say it. I think that we often. I think where we have pushed it a little bit too far again is that God has this uh, wrath stored up that needs to be exhausted, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so the, the the term that we often will use the theological term is propitiation. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament. We see these you know these kind of things. The other word that's used, and this is used in First John in the New Testament, is expiation, which has to do with the dissipating of of wrath. Um, but again, is Jesus our sacrifice? Yes. Is he a substitute on our behalf? Absolutely. Did he take for us what we deserve? I think all those things are absolutely true. I think the problem comes when we begin to try to define even more narrowly how that works. Right. Right. That That's the only thing I'm saying. I think these are all good metaphors. I think they break down at some point. And so I, I've had people try to explain to me uh, using quantum physics, uh, this is a. Gen- I, I'm not lying about this. Uh, how Jesus could take every sin on Himself at that moment, uh, they would say it had to do with um, the the nature of of time. <laughs> and and, wow. and and again, I didn't know sin could be a. Now, now here's my point. Out of the law of physics, I, I think you've pushed the metaphor too far at that point, right? And and mm-hmm. even this. This idea, every sin on him was like, has he forgiven every sin? Absolutely. Uh, is that because of the work of Jesus on the cross? Absolutely. I believe that 100%. Did he do something for me that I could not do myself? Absolutely. I believe all those things. But I think it's when we begin to try to, you know, it's it, it's when <laughs> when we begin to, to explain this to that point, I think we get, we get um, a little bit of skew sometimes, I think. Now, and it's a it's a line that we try to fight, like oh no, it, this happened, or no, this happened, and it, it and, creates and tension that's not there. We put all the other things in, in opposition to it. So let me mention just a couple more real quick. Uh, uh, what often is called Christus Victor, or the idea that Christ in His death and resurrection is is uh, 
showing us the victory or winning for us the victory uh, over sin and death uh, is essentially what he's doing. Uh, is is another understanding or another way uh, to talk about that. And then you know one more, and this one is not. We don't see this very much. But I, I can think about books that I've read that, that do talk about this. Often it's called the moral exemplar view, but basically it's saying that that Jesus, and he, again, his language itself can sometimes point to this, that Jesus uh, died in, in response to this oppression of Rome as an example of the way that we should give ourselves on behalf of others. And so it becomes a moral example for us. Um, uh, I, I can think about a, a, a historian of Jesus, a, a Jesus um, scholar from way back, uh, who talked about that that Jesus threw himself upon the wheels uh, of the of the oppressive uh, regime, the oppressive empire, and and mm. he threw himself there as as a sacrifice and and stopped those cogs, wheels. if you will, from turning. Is the idea. Uh, and, hmm. and, and so we have, we have a couple things in scripture. I mean, Jesus says, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, a, a friend, I'm trying to think now, I should have looked this up ahead of time. Uh, but, uh, someone might possibly dare, dare to die for, for a good person. Uh, but this is, uh, oh, I'm now I'm, I'm confusing that. Rarely with, die. Right. I, I, it's a meme somewhere. <laughs> You know, but I lay down my life for you, and now I've called you my friends. Right? Jesus says this uh-huh. in in uh, in John uh, sixteen, I believe it is, or yeah, 15, sixteen, I think. Anyway, uh, and then we have also um, Peter's statement that we should follow in his steps in this in this idea. He 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 uh, gives his life that we should follow in his steps. So he becomes for us then a moral example uh, of how to respond. Uh, to this kind of a death, the whole thing about you know before as a sheep before shears was silent, he he didn't speak a word. All this gives us an example. So so those are all different ways of understanding this. And again, my my point is this, and here's where I'm going to mention this book by Scott McKnight. That uh, whoops, there it is <laughs> by Scott, Scott McKnight called the Community Called Atonement. Uh, he does a good job on it. Here, here's the interesting thing about. Uh, uh, McKnight, I never had a class with him or anything like this. Uh, he's a little bit ahead of me, but we've had very similar uh, influences. And, and while I don't agree with him 100%, it, it's one of these things that, interestingly, we've come to similar kind of conclusions. I, I think just, again, because of, we've read similar kind of uh, people. We've, we've had similar experiences. He was a PhD student at the University of Nottingham. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, you know, we, we've met similar people, we've had similar shaping. And so uh, it wasn't his book, although his his whole point is, this is basically the point I'm making, that these different atonement theories can help us understand different aspects of what it is that God has done in Jesus. So the atonement is bigger than, than just this. And so there was a review in Christianity Today written when this book first came out uh, called... Uh, your atonement is too small, uh, referring to J.B. Phillips' book, Your God is Too Small, where he kind of looked at kind of our popular conceptions of God and critiqued them. Uh, and, and this reviewer of McKnight's book said it could be called, uh, you know, Your Atonement is Too Small. Now, the interesting thing is I thought for years about writing a book called Your Salvation is Too Small, which had a very similar kind of point to what McKnight makes. Because then he, he not only talks about the fact that this is bigger and we need all of Scripture and all of these different metaphors, and, and I don't think these are in opposition to one another in Scripture, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I, I don't think Paul yeah. is saying, oh, Jesus was wrong about what he was doing. Let me tell you what he was really doing. Let me t- let me tell you what Jesus was actually doing. Oh. Uh, he was uh, – uh, I, I don't think that's the uh, – I don't, I don't think that's the intent at all. But but this is what <laughs> what the eternal God is doing in, in redeeming creation is big enough that we probably need different kinds of images to, to talk about it. That, that's, that's all. Now – Further, he goes, and and I agree with him on this, is that how do I say this? One of the problems we get into with atonement too is, and, and this actually goes back to our last conversation on foreknowledge. We think about this in very individualistic terms, particularly in the United States or North America, at least. Uh, we think about salvation in very individualistic terms, and I think when we think in that way, um about me as the example, right, then mm-hmm. I think it gets us into trouble. That's where we get into things like, 
questions like, can you lose your salvation or not? Uh, and questions like, um, uh, you know, am I pre? Is is it that God has predestined the individual? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, has He predestined me to heaven or to hell? Those kind of questions. Um, you know, and and in what way has He taken my sin upon Himself? Uh, whereas I think I think salvation in Scripture is, is a bigger idea. In fact, I usually will use this phrase, and I, I, don't, I usually use the term redemption, uh, which again is a metaphor. Redeemed has to do with the idea of purchasing back. Uh, usually from slavery or, or purchasing back something that has been lost, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Hosea is a good illustration of that, the book of Hosea, but that idea of purchasing, uh, redeeming. Uh, and again, it breaks down at some point. You know, who's he redeeming this from? You know, blah, blah, blah. But, but the idea of redemption, I think, is what God is doing, and what he has done in Christ, and what he continues to do through this community of people that he's gathered, that Christ has gathered around himself in order to, to restore the entire creation into a place of um, peace with God. Uh, so reconciliation is another term. So let, let me give you just this one quote. I know I've been, I've been kind of talking. Do you want to yeah. Yeah, interject so, something so, here? So in your mind, you know, we think about John three sixteen for God so loved the world. Yeah. And then we have Paul, who in Romans is ransom, 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 ransom. Like, you see those as being... I don't know that Paul talks about ransom a lot. Well, know. he doesn't. Like Go ahead. Word. But, I mean, the word ransom is used quite a bit in there. Ransom yes? is not. Ransom is only used oh. two times in the entire New Testament. It's used oh, not, by not Jesus. ransom. Yeah. Uh, wrath. I'm wrath, sorry. you're I'm talking so, about. Yeah. Wrath. Yeah. You know, wrath and love. Right. So, like, do you see that as... How do you see those working? I mean, do you see those as just different aspects of it or I think, like I think I is love a metaphor? I, I don't know. Love is not um <clears throat> how, how do I say Sorry, this? did I open a can of worms no, there? No, I, I think I think it's it's a good question. Let me so and this may be another conversation for a different time, but let, let me just say this. So I what I'm saying is I think this the starting place, the metaphor that we start with is going to uh determine the way that we answer this question of what it is that God is doing, what atonement means, okay? The metaphor we choose, are we talking about? And again, what I'm trying to suggest is that there's probably a place for all these. Now, here's here's another part of this, and this goes back. I, I briefly mentioned our episode on sin, but I'm going to come back to it now. Uh, this is where I think worldview makes a difference. Um, I would say what you understand the problem to be is going to determine what you understand God is doing in Jesus. So what what am I being saved from? Mm. Right? Uh, how do I de- how do I define sin and what that means? Uh, and I think that that because I, when we talked about worldview, I said this is one of the foundational questions: is not only who are we, where are we, but what's the problem, and then what's the solution? Mm. So. Here's where I would go with this, and and actually this quote I was getting ready to, to read from McKnight mentions this idea of wrath specifically. Uh, this is from his book, A Community Called Atonement. He says, my point is that where we begin shapes where we end up. If you begin with wrath, you get an atonement that tells the story of wrath being pacified. So... Mm. Um, <clears throat> If if and I'm going to tell you the metaphor that I tend to use and and, and I'm, it, it has its own limits. It has its limits, but here's the thing: we need to be aware of it too. We need to be aware that this is a, this is a metaphor we use. I would say the metaphor I use is relational, right? Because when I describe to you what the problem was, I, I described it as broken relationships. Mm-hmm. I said it's chaos in our relationship with God, chaos in our relationship within ourselves. Chaos with our relationship with others and chaos with creation. So what I talk about a lot is you'll hear me talk about broken relationships. And so the metaphor then that that I would use is reconciliation, right? And this is, Paul talks about reconciliation as, right, as well, right? That in Jesus, God is reconciling people to himself, and he's also reconciling them to one another, uh, that's what Ephesians uh, says, right? So, so I think I, I think all of these. I think there are things that we can learn from them. 
do I think that there are shortcomings? Yeah, and I think it's usually where the metaphor breaks down. That's usually the case. Now, <laughs> that may be an oversimplification, but I think as we're just kind of starting in this issue, that might be that might be something uh, to to think about. Um, do, you th- do is this like a deficiency in our language? Like we we can't possibly describe. It's not in our language. Of, it, it, not in our, but our, our capacity to it, articulate. Uh, it, it is. I don't think it's a deficiency. I would say it is an aspect of our humanity. Okay. That we are not God. And, um, and and you know Isaiah, fifty. You're high, as as high as the heavens are above the earth, or your thoughts above my my thoughts. Right. So now that doesn't mean we then we shrug our shoulders and give up. We we buckle down. We do the hard work of trying to understand, to the best of our ability, what this is, and we we try to explain it. Um, so atonement, as I mentioned, is the word that we've chosen to talk about what it is the work of uh, God did on the on the cross in Christ. I, I think I also I, I sometimes use the word gospel in that way or or uh, good news. Right, the good news, and we could say, I guess, technically speaking, you could say atonement is what action God did in Christ on the cross, and gospel is the way that we express that or we we describe it. So, what the gospel calls us to do, I think, is to think about creative ways in, in which we can express what it is that God uh, has done in, in in Jesus. So, the metaphor that I used of the of the electromagnet is not anywhere in Scripture. Right. What? <laughs> I, uh, but but that is a you know it's another image. It's another way for us to 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 try to express. And and again, we we understand. So I would say every language has limits. Uh, every mm-hmm. every language has limitations. And especially when you're talking about the eternal God, and when you're talking about the central act of what He's doing in order to 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 redeem His creation. That's <laughs> if that was a simple matter, I'd worry. Right. Right. Uh, now. Here, here's what I, I do want to. I do want to say this because I worried about this as we are we are starting this. I believe the gospel is very simple to understand and for us to accept. That's why I started with that idea. All of us can agree that we have been uh, our sins have been forgiven because of what, not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, that we have been saved, however we want to understand that. That we've been redeemed. Uh, from this empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers, uh, that's First Peter, for, by the precious blood of Jesus, uh, lamb without uh, uh, blemish or defect. That's a payment as well. There's a payment metaphor there as well. Um, but um, you know, it was not with silver or gold. Is what uh, you know? It was not silver or gold. Peter says that we were purchased. Right. It was through the precious blood of Jesus. So all of these are ways to help us understand the the magnificence of what it is that God has done uh, in us. And I think I think considering them and even considering some of the problems. Like I said, uh, I think it's a caricature to call the, uh, the 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 satisfaction model, the penal substitution model uh divine child abuse. You'll hear people talk about, you know, God took out his wrath on, you know, father took out his wrath on the son. I I think that's a caricature. Uh, but I think I think we need to think carefully about the limits of some of our metaphors and and what they're useful for. And I think we also need to think about how they are heard. Uh, so I may use a way to describe what God is doing in one context that I might not use in another. Uh, what is the most appropriate way if someone is struggling? Um, I might, you know, in North America, I probably need to jump up and down and shout this much more is, is, uh, God is saving his community, his people, uh, you know, and we often think about it as an individual, an individual and, uh, individual. and we probably need to think much more about what it means that all of us together, uh, you know, it's Ephesians too, right? He's taken the two. Uh, talking about Jew and Gentile, those who are far off and those who are near, and he's made them into one person, one man, and in that man, he's he's reconciling us to Christ or to God in Christ, and so so uh, to himself, and so you know, there's there's um, that's probably something we need to emphasize much more. And you talk about our language. Uh, I've said before, and and I, I I don't know that it's it's possible to estimate how much 
that's a breakdown of our language because we only have one word for the singular and the plural you. Uh, right. That yeah, we don't. That we've talked about in a previous episode. That we don't differentiate the difference between you know you Y'all. singular yeah you and thou if you want to use King James. Uh, we we don't differentiate any longer in our in our in modern English. We don't differentiate the singular and the plural, but the Greeks did. Uh, you know the New Testament writers did, and uh, you know there are places where it talks about you as a group where we're taking it as you as an individual. I think that that has had an influence upon our theology. Um, so language yeah. does, has had an influence. And <laughs> this is probably, this is definitely a conversation for another time, but, but language teaching theology in a Spanish context um, changed my, my understanding of some things because of the, the language, because <laughs> I, I posted this one time, somebody else posted this later. It's one of those things, you know, you came to this insight and then other person, you know, said it as well. But uh, I posted one time, I remember when I was down there, uh, theology do, that doesn't work in, in every language isn't true. You know, mm. it, 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 it's got to be, theology has to be big enough that it can be encompassed in, in every context. That's the missional aspect of it. That's the, that's the mission of uh, God in the world part of this whole thing that, that uh, you know, there are things I was trying to explain and it just didn't work. It wasn't fast. translating. It's like, didn't translate. It's like, it's like, it's not, you know, well, I better, I better fix Spanish. It's, it's, I better fix my understanding of this stuff. Then. Yeah. And Interesting. So, yeah. So there's, you know, that's, that's part of it. All right. So atonement. Yeah. We've, t- we've, we've talked a lot about here. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the penal substitutionary, yeah. the wrath piece of it. We've talked yeah. about Christ as victor. You know, we've t- and we've talked about the the moral the the, the moral implications exemplar, of yeah. Christ exemplar, and so you know, I think from this, I think maybe to come away from this is like each one of these has something in them, yeah. but th- that they they can't encompass everything. All of them and fall so instead short. of mm-hmm. instead of drawing those those dividing lines, yeah. that you know th- that they all. You know, and as Scott McKnight, that quote that you pulled out there, that is, yep. when you start at a certain place, you end at a certain place. And so, right. you know, thinking about understanding what what needed to be fixed is is an important right. part of it. So, Ke- Kevin, Van Hoos- I meant to I meant to quote Kevin Van Hooser too. I thought this was a good quote when we were talking about this. He, he says the death of Jesus exceeds our attempts to explain it. You know, mm. basically, we need to think in terms of excess rather than in in. Uh, uh, he says exchange. Not no, we're not exchanging one view for the other, but we're think, let's think in terms of excess. This is there's more here than we can even express of what what God has done in Christ. So yeah, and and I really appreciate what you said um, about that we can't understand, you know, like that that there's these other pieces, but that sure. it's the gospel is yes. easy to understand. You yeah. know, I had a conversation with the the person who recommended the Peter Inns book, and so he and I were chatting this week, and it was one of these things. We were talking about some of these contextual you know, things that he had questions about, and it was like, how do I know when I have enough? And I think that's the conversation yeah. I've had with you before is, how do I know when I have enough so I can really understand it? Right. Or, you know, am I missing it because I don't understand all that stuff? But kind of going... The message is there, and then as you grow, you know, you understand, you know, you understand more of the complexity, and not right. that it's gonna. You grow in your knowledge, then not that your and your knowledge of the world changes, um, but that you know what you need to know. That that the message right. is for everyone, best, and it's yeah. not. It's Very, for everyone. And, and you think about, I mean, even the examples in Scripture, the day of Pentecost, three thousand came forward because you know. And I don't think Peter said now, now before I baptize you. Let me ask you, which of the views of the atonement do you understand? What do you think Jesus was doing on the cross? <laughs> and if you don't answer this correctly, we're not going to dunk you until you take the, the... We've got a class for you on the first and second <laughs> right. Tuesdays. Right. But, but you, you understand, and, and I mean, I'm kind of being ridiculous there, but but no, people responded to the gospel. And and here's the crazy thing there, and, and this is, we're so far removed from this, I think we have a hard time understanding, unless we've been a pioneer missionary. Uh, where we're taking the gospel to places for the very first time, you know, it's become for us so well worn that sometimes we miss this. But man, the stories of Paul going into Thessalonica and people responding, and, you know, changing their occupations and and you know, changing their people groups, uh, changing their actions because because of the message of the gospel, it, it would just have meant this whole communities of people that that this happened. 
and uh, it just would have been an incredible. Ephesus, you know, the, the silversmiths start to say, "Hey, you're cutting into our business here," you know, right. and uh, and it's just it's just really an amazing thing. And again, I think this was because of the preaching. Paul says the preaching of the cross, right? We preach Christ crucified, First uh, Corinthians, um, and so the, that that message. Uh, even if we don't, again, even if we're not like Paul or, or, you know, we haven't completely unpacked this particular metaphor, I think we can respond to the gospel in a way that, that is meaningful. So excellent. Now there, there is, uh, there is a balance. I do, I do want to say, uh, I think that that deep study of this, you is know, worthwhile. yeah, you said it, it brings growth or how, even working over these things and thinking through them, help us to, to sharpen our understanding, hone our, I, I don't know what kind of metaphor you want, you want to use, but iron sharpening iron. Yeah. That's, that's, what well, I mean, that's, I mean, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm reading a book and I've got conversation, you know, you and I are having conversations yeah. about, um, and things that I'd not thought of or, or work through. Sure. And so, you know, having, you know, that that's study and it's helping me, um, helping me even grow a better appreciation for for the the, the scripture and the revelation that I have in my hand. So, well, that is a simple episode. (laughs) We we better do something more easy than this next time. Yes, yes, um, yes, we will do something easier (laughs) because... It was good. Well, hey, it was a it was a it was a listener request, and so yeah. well, I hope there it you helps. Have it. It'd be interesting. Yeah, hit, uh, hit us back and see if we uh, helped uh, helped you with what you were wanting to think about and think through. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Talk good to, to you. See soon. you. God. God bless. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Next week, Brian and I will be chatting with Chad Ragsdale of Ozark Christian College. Chad has taught biblical interpretation and apologetics since 2005 and is now the academic dean. Chad is also recently an author, so we take this time to discuss his book a bit with him, the nature of apologetics today, and also how parents can and should be preparing their children to face the world. It's a great conversation. We hope you'll join us for. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We'll see you next Tuesday.